It has been very frustrating, I'm not going to lie. Being stuck all the way down in Brighton and not having, you know, especially like when you get to a high level and there's just like no one for me to train with. Uh, you know, because we're all, we're all competitive and as much as we're all friends and we, and I am friends with a lot of people that I compete against, you don't want to fucking lose to someone from another gym. If you're rolling with these people that you have the possibility of competing against, are you bringing the yeah. A game or are you kind of like letting them build confidence like, oh, I beat Ali in rounds at the gym, so I'm not worried about competing against him now? Nah, mate, it's, it's war. Just war Everything <laughs> you know, everyone's doing all these crazy warm-ups and I just like find a corner and I just fall asleep and I get my coach to wake me up half an hour before one of my matches. So, all right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Elvis Type Podcast. Your host, Travis. Today, I have a friend from over in, across the pond over in the UK, Mr. Ollie Webb. How you doing today, dude? I'm good, sir. How you doing? I am great. I'm super excited to talk to you. We have a mutual friend like we talked about before, uh, Ben, who's uh, your roommate. Uh, he's probably sleeping right now, isn't he? He's funnily enough, he's just broken his collarbone on a skiing oh. holiday, so he's gone home. So, because we can't all look after him as much as his parents probably can, so he's decided to run back home and ask his mum for some help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm actually in his room right now. He, uh, so yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on his Instagram, and I was like, oh, man, that does not look fun at all. So, But hey, for people that don't know who you are at home, I'm really excited about this because your your background and who you are in the jiu-jitsu scene right now up and coming. So let's go ahead and get into like who you are and how you got into jiu-jitsu and everything. Yeah, man, so uh, I've just turned 24. I'm from Brighton in the south of England, which is basically one hour south of London. Um I've uh, been training jiu-jitsu five years. I'm a brown belt under Yusuf Nabi. Um, and yeah, I've trained all across the world. I uh, got back into jiu-jitsu. I got into jiu-jitsu back when I was mm, just turned 19. So it hasn't been that long of a journey, really. Um, but yeah, I essentially grew up boxing. My dad owned a boxing gym growing up. Um, he was actually, he's also a Buddhist and used to be a Buddhist monk before he owned a boxing gym. So that was a, a, a strange combination. But um, yeah, so I, grew, I started boxing when I was like 11 and then kind of was in and out of that. Um, and then I, I got playing rugby and then I got into skateboarding. I wanted to be a professional skateboarder. So I did a lot of stuff that was like physical, nothing. I mean, it's hard to emulate jujitsu. I don't think there's that many things that you do. I mean, rugby is probably the closest thing I've done to jujitsu before I did it. Um but I felt like all of them had their, including skateboarding, had their sort of individual uh, benefits before uh, starting training jiu-jitsu, basically. And then, yeah, I was like listening to loads of podcasts and listening to Joe Rogan and stuff like that. I wanted to get back into it. I mean, I saw a lot of people growing up who had a shitload of head trauma and stuff, obviously. Um, and we had like journeymen who'd come in and, you know, they'd forget things. And I was just was like, oh, shit, I, like, I really wanted to be able to fight. That was like my main thing, but I didn't want to get head trauma. So I found jujitsu and I started doing it and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this three times a week. And then sort of within, within three months, I was like, shit, I'm extremely competitive. And I was like, I realized there was no way I was going to keep doing jujitsu without trying to become as good as I possibly could at doing it. That's just kind of my personality with anything, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, just before jujitsu, I used to be a professional musician as well. I used to play drums in bands and I used to do session work and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, quite different to jujitsu, but also it was basically me just avoiding having ever having a normal job. Um, so it's still quite similar in that way, um, which I've succeeded doing up until now. So that's good. But um, yeah, so 
I pretty much trained almost full time. I pretty much quit music school about six months after starting jujitsu and just put everything into jujitsu. And so that's, that's probably one of the biggest reasons for me, me progressing quite quickly, you know? So you, you, right after you started, you were like, I need to take this seriously. And you jumped head first into it as a white belt competing, Mm -hmm. trying to train as much as possible and just ingesting as much jujitsu as possible. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I definitely like train a lot smarter now. I'm a brown belt than I I, I was when I was a white belt. But back then I was like, okay, I'm just going to go as hard as I can all the time. Lift weights, sprint, run, do everything I possibly can and probably just like killed myself. But And then obviously over the years, your training methodologies get smarter and smarter and more efficient. But um, yeah, I mean like I I didn't know if I was going to be professional or anything, but I was like I – I'd get so pissed off about losing that I was like, I just, I have to get good at this. I have to get to the point where I'm not just getting fucked up by even, even like brown and black belts are like, I couldn't stand getting tapped by people. So I was like, Oh no, this isn't good because now I'm just going to put all my time into it. And that's what I did. And luckily it worked out, you know, I mean, jujitsu still isn't as, uh, as much of a professional sport as I wish it was. And, uh, what I think it will be, but, um, it's, I think if you if you dedicate yourself enough and get to a high enough level, you can obviously make yourself into, you know, you can make a good career out of it even now, you know? Yeah, it's definitely come quite a ways from even the time that I've been doing jiu-jitsu. I've been doing jiu-jitsu about the same time, and I'm still uh, a blue belt. So th- just to okay. tell you how, how bad I suck at jiu-jitsu. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I know some tough blue belts. Yeah. What did you, you say? I said I know some tough blue belts. You might, you might be one of them. Yeah, it... Uh, but it, I mean, it's back back when I first started. Uh, you know, ADCC wasn't nearly as big as it is now. You know, the there was IBJJF wasn't even uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. Now it's up here. Uh, you know, and a lot a lot of a change. And I think people are starting to realize, especially with other bigger organizations like the UFC, Combat Karate. Uh, all these other organizations trying to get into jiu-jitsu to make it bigger. Now it's starting to open up more doors for people like yourself who want to do it full-time, have the passion for it, the time for it, and they can really start making it a big big part of their life and their their main income outside of like instructionals and stuff like that. Where where do you see the industry having to go in order for you for more people to be able to do it full-time? Oh, uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think... Um the UFC Fight Pass Invitation was a really good one because it drives a lot of the um, the UFC you know fan base into it, and it's like the biggest martial arts fan base in the world right now. So I think that's really good. I like the rule set too. I don't think it's too boring. I, I know it's EBI over time, and some people don't like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's EBI over time anyway. Mm-hmm. I might I might be wrong on that actually, but either way, every show I've watched of them just looks so professional, so good. They've all all the athletes look professional. Um, and I think, you know, it just stands out from most, you know, normal grappling shows. That one's really good. I think, um, I think the, what one championships are doing, if I'm not wrong, they have like, sometimes they'll have jujitsu fights on the same nights as MMA fights. So then people are basically forced to watch jujitsu, which is good. If we can just keep forcing people to watch jujitsu, that's, uh, that's always a good one. But and, you know, they're, they're giving out big paydays to athletes, too. I mean, I'm pretty sure Mikey Musumechi got like a 50K bonus for, for, for a sub once. 
So just like as many of those big organizations, you know, is really helpful. And then I think as time goes on, a lot of people in the fitness industry are getting involved. Um, obviously, Joe Rogan's like a big part of that because you've got such a big voice and he does it. But obviously, people, you've got people like um, uh, Jocko Willink and stuff with po uh, podcast platforms, you know, praising jujitsu. And now like lots of other people are getting into it. And I think, um, I think the more sort of for the younger people, I think uh, the YouTube sphere is going to be really important. So I know uh, someone called Bradley Martin did um, a couple videos of him getting thrown around by like a really good brown belt. And that got tons and tons of hits. I think as many uh, people who can get like in the YouTube sphere as, as possible is, is going to be really good. So just using basically other people with high platforms, whether that be the UFC, one championships, or just, you know, fitness athletes or anyone who has got nothing to do with jiu-jitsu and, and, and using their fan base as a way of boosting jiu-jitsu. Because, um, you know, jiu-jitsu is an extremely interesting sport. It's extremely addictive. Everyone I know who's done it pretty much, you know, <laughs> every one of my friends now it does jiu-jitsu pretty much, you know, and they all love it. It's a big part of their life. You just can't not be interested in not only the benefits it gives you mentally physically but also like the community aspect and the camaraderie and all of that it's like it's hard to not want to do it you know when you start doing it so i just think we need to open as many eyes to it and i think that's happening um and yeah it's an exciting time you know because it's blowing up it's not where i want it to be i mean some part of me wishes i'd started i was younger and i started jujitsu 10 years later but i can't change that and that's fine um so it is still an exciting time, you know. What was what was it like competing for the first time in jiu-jitsu, having like that competitive background in boxing and and uh, just naturally growing up? Um, yeah, it's interesting. The first time I had zero nerves whatsoever. Um, I was just like, yeah, let's do this. And then it was so hard that the like the second time when I went back, I was terrified. Um, and it took it actually took me. A, a while to um you know get used to competing again i think like you know i'm never i'm never afraid of being hurt in jiu-jitsu ever the only thing i'm ever afraid of is underperforming because i just have such a high standard for myself and i've always expected probably more for myself than i could actually achieve which you know in in one sense is is maybe not good because i might not always achieve goals i set out mm -hmm. but i think if if you aim high where you where you end up because of uh, having high goals um is better than if you if you hadn't had those high goals so um i don't regret that but yeah basically the, the first time i had i did a white belt competition like one month in or two months in and i won it um somehow with probably <laughs> with zero with zero jujitsu and just willpower alone um but um and it wasn't like I wasn't fully addicted to the. Like, I liked winning, but I wasn't like, oh, this is like extremely addicting either. I just thought, wow, that was really hard, and I need to get, I need to overcome that, you know. So I think more the motivation of overcoming my fear rather than like, oh, I really love having this gold medal around my chest, um, was what you know motivated me to keep going. <laughs> so when you when you first competed. Did you have a coach there with you that was like talking you through it or were you just kind of like figuring it out as you were going? Yeah. So my coach, uh, Yusuf Nabi was there and he was talking me through every step and I pretty much just did exactly what he said, 
which is funny because now I, I go and coach people and I and I and I especially at like white and blue belt and I'm telling them what to do and they just completely ignore me and it's so frustrating. Um, but for some reason I was like, okay, I'm an idiot. I know nothing. I'm just going to listen to everything he says. And I pretty much just did what he said and I won. So definitely works. Yeah. Yeah. I went the, I've only competed one time and I'm sure everyone at home is tired of me talking about it, but I didn't have a coach there. So I was just listening to what my opponent's coach was saying and trying to counter what he was saying. And I think that's like good and bad because I would stop whatever he was trying to do, but I wasn't mounting an offense because I was so worried about what he was doing. How do you, when you're competing, how do you battle that line or tote that line of like having a game plan and going for what you want, but stopping what you think your opponent's trying to do? Um, Yeah, it's a good question. And I I think it depends because sometimes – you know, you're in a tournament and you don't know exactly who you're going to go up against. And sometimes you don't know who, who the people are, even if you do know who you're going up against. And then sometimes competing on a super fight, for example, when I competed on Polaris, like I knew the person's game quite well. If I know the opponent, I'm going to basically um, uh, come up with a, a tactical game as uh, as accurate as I possibly can. And I'll have a sort of A, B and C game. Um, and then but whether you're fighting someone where you've game planned for it or where you haven't, I think it's important to have a feeling outstage to some degree. Like, I think you should always try and get to your attacks first. But I think um, I think someone like Owen O'Flanagan is really, really good at this. Just, uh, you know, you have... So one good example is, say, you're in headquarters. And, and I'm stealing from Owen O'Flanagan here. But you go for a knee cut and you notice that... Um, when you go for the knee cut, he's defending it. So then you go for a back step. And then as you back step, you're noticing that he's opening his elbow. So now you can fake the back step and start going for a knee cut because his elbow's out and you can get an underhook. Stuff like that. I think it's important for the first like minute or two to be able to feel out your opponent, read what they're kind of trying to do. And then from there, start mounting offense, even when you have a game plan. Because you don't want to just start going in and doing random attacks that you think are going to work. You have to actually build reactions and... Um, build your offense off of like setups and stuff like that. So I think the best thing to do is always have a game plan if you can, but then be ready to adapt and be ready to, you know, read your opponent as well as you can, as soon as you can, because they're trying to read you too. So so the game is kind of like, you're trying to understand your opponent before they understand you and then immediately start attacking off of that. Um, and sometimes you might know your opponent so well just from watching tape that you can just go out and attack immediately. But I think, yeah, that feeling out process is is underrated, I would say. What's the biggest difference besides, obviously, skill and experience from when you first started competing to now? Uh, I know a lot of people, when they first start competing, nerves get to them. They gas out within the first 30, 45 seconds of their match. They'll lock on to grips and hold on for dear life. Like, What's the biggest thing that's changed outside of just your experience from doing jiu-jitsu in, in competing? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, are you talking about more my preparation or like how I deal with it mentally on the day? Uh, let's do it with mentally. Like when it comes to competition day, how, how is it different now? Oh, it, it's completely different. It doesn't it doesn't feel that different to me than a hard round in the gym. And to be honest, because when I've trained with the best guys in the world, like I have, I think I've probably gotten more nervous for some of my rounds in the gym than I have competing. And I just think it's... um. It's an it. Mm, 
it's it's a hard it's a hard journey to go across it's a hard journey to especially if you're someone who gets nervous competing some people don't get nervous competing but i think if you really care about trying to uh, perform to your best you are going to get nervous and it's not about being a pussy it's just about you care about doing well and that's you know i think it's it's always more impressive to me when someone completely prepares does everything they can and then loses than someone who doesn't fully prepare and wins because to me that you're opening up a uh, what's the word like a, you're giving yourself a crutch for if you lose you're like oh, okay well i didn't prepare as hard as i can so i think the people who are really honorable and actually really trained to win are the people who get nervous and i think that's normal and i think it's actually a very hard battle to come across i think everyone has their individual process for me i like to be pretty much as relaxed as possible so i will often fall asleep on the mats before i compete <laughs> generally and my and my and my so I, you know everyone's doing all these crazy warm-ups and i just like find a corner and i just fall asleep and i get my coach to wake me up half an hour before one of my matches and then i get up and i warm up slowly you know i don't just like start running and jumping and all that stuff that's just my personal thing that's 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 the way i find that works for me and i just my head coach has a completely different process to me um, one of my other coaches dom has a completely different process to me and i just think you have to experiment with different things um in order to find how you can be comfortable um competing um and one thing that really helps me is i like to just think of a match as a, a set of technical objectives i like almost completely dehumanize my opponent and dehumanize the whole experience where i just go i have a set of technical objectives to overcome I'm going to go for these specific moves. He can counter them in these specific ways. And then I might have to, you know, react to that in a specific way. And I think when you do it like that, you, um, you handle nerves much better because I remember John Danaher saying that matches aren't one on drama. They're not one on emotion. They're one on the, you know, mundane technical things you do in the gym every single day. And I think when you remember that, um, you realize like, oh, well, there's no point in me getting completely emotional and like tied up in this thing. And, you know, and yeah. So for me, that was, that was the main thing, just normalizing it and dehumanizing it. That's the main thing. So you mentioned in there that you were, you're kind of like going through your game plan before you actually step on the match. What, what are you like in your head going through besides just like techniques are you like visualizing the role on how you want to execute it how it's going to actually go like you're trying to go step for step like how it could possibly go or are you just like queuing up techniques or moves or situations that you uh know you can react to well i have uh like a lot of specific positions especially like in the stand-up position that i like to get to one of them is underhooks the other one so i have sort of like three main um if you imagine it like this like i have three main like objective like technical objectives and then from there there's like a tree of options from there you know so i generally try and get to I, I know i'm very very confident that i can get to for example an underhook um i know i'm very confident for example i can get to a two-on-one um if they're if they're on on the on the floor my main objective is to uh, so saying they're in seated guard my main objective is to try and get them on their back or step inside their legs and either with a cross hamstring or, or, or same side hamstring. So I have like very specific clear goals to get to initially. And then I have a, a whole load of techniques to get from 
to go to from those specific positions. Um, so the main thing I'm thinking about is getting to those positions. And then my, my afterthought is, uh, what can I do from those positions? And what can they do as well, obviously? You met, you you recently went to B team, like we talked about beforehand, because you love training with like the best guys in the world. What was that experience like walking in there, knowing that you're getting ready for ADCC, those other guys are going to be in there, you know, some of the top guys in the world. Like, what was that experience like leading up to actually your first class with them? Yeah, um, it was awesome, man. I mean, I've, I've been to B team before, so I knew it was like, I was, I'm always interested because most of the time I'm training with people who aren't as good as me. So it's always nice going to another gym and, and I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to do against these guys compared to how I did last time? You know, these guys are the, the best guys in the world. If I'm doing good against them, I'm going to do well against everyone else. So it's always like, okay, well, we'll see what happens, you know? Um, and as I said, I've trained there before. I've trained uh, at Broker with John Danaher. So I've trained with all the best guys in the world. So I wasn't nervous or anything like that. But um, unfortunately, I basically had covid like um i'm not sure how long ago but a month ago and i have i have some weird symptoms of long COVID, so i wasn't like on top form but um the experience was awesome everyone was super super friendly i think some people get worried that you know it's like a uh you know it's a professional gym and they're not that welcoming but that wasn't my experience at all um the reason i went to b team instead of going back to roca was because they have a lot they have a lot more guys my size so they've got like ethan credenston who's like my size even though he competes at 66 and damian and nikki ryan's close to my size now so they basically just have the best in the world at my size and i love the format of the way they teach and stuff as well so it was awesome man i felt really good my jujitsu feels really good my physical condition wasn't quite where i'd want it to be to get the most out of the experience um but overall it's amazing i mean you're always just learning things that um i think you know, you, you're learning small techniques because there's a lot of, you know, I know a lot of jujitsu, so I'm always learning new things when I'm there. And it's cool to learn it in a class environment instead of having to learn it off an instructional that I paid for and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, because your, your, your Curtin Academy is a smaller academy over in the UK, like you mentioned. You don't have, like, the best guys in the world there, which is okay, but you're still finding a way to compete at the highest level, even coming from a smaller academy. What makes What makes you think or what – in your journey or in your day-to-day training uh, allows you to compete at such a high level, even though you don't have, you know, world-class, no offense to your teammates, but like if you don't have yeah. world-class athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I'd say, first of all, I would say like my coach and my assistant coach have done very well. So I would say that uh, Yusuf, my main coach did very well in the gi, obviously because he did well in the gi, he's not really a no-gi athlete. The one person who has done well is, is Dom. Uh, Dominic Dillon, who's competed on Polaris a bunch of times. He is, I would definitely say he's a world-class 66 athlete, but he's the only one. And also now he's like got kids and stuff like that. So I'm pretty much the only one who's like fully uh, dedicated to jujitsu right now, just to be fair to them. But um, yeah, the main thing I would say is like, I made a a decision to, that that's what I was going to do. So I'd say that's the main thing. I was like, that this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to become high level and I'm going to make the most out of what I have. So I think that attitude, when you have that attitude, you'll find ways around it. But more specifically, um, I have tr- the main thing I would say is traveling to other gyms and constantly traveling to other gyms. So I, I, I'll train up at London Grapple as much as I can. I've, I'm about to start training at Hodger Gracie HQ in London as much as I can. 
I trained up at Owen O'Flanagan's gym in London. There's a lot of good gyms in London, which isn't too far. But obviously, I'm teaching and I'm doing privates and stuff, so it can be a bit of a nightmare. And then, of course, I've trained out in America a lot of times, so I know where I stand against like good grapplers over there. Um, in terms of my sort of training methodology, it comes down to watching loads of footage, um, watching lots of instructionals, and um, the way I train. So, like putting myself in myself in bad positions, just not smashing, you know, everyone all the time. I mean, if you look at uh, Hodger Gracie, I'm not exactly at what point in his career it was, but he came over to London, England, and he was only training with white and blue belts. And then I'm pretty sure he won his biggest titles after that point. So there's a lot you can learn from just from just rolling with um, people who are lower level than you. It has been very frustrating, I'm not going to lie, being being stuck all the way down in Brighton and not having, you know, especially like when you get to a high level and there's just like no one for me to train with who from my gym. Um, it's been very frustrating, but luckily I've been, you know, able to get out to a lot of the better gyms as well. Um, and yeah, just constantly working on it, filming myself and like taking an honest look at where I'm at and exactly what issues I need to face and constantly asking myself the question, if I was a grappler who wanted to be Ollie Webb, how would I do it? I know I talked about myself in the third person like Nicky Rod does there, but <laughs> I'm not joking. But it's got to be done in terms of in terms of development is helpful. So it does make sense. So what is your Those self- are the main things. What does your self-study look like then when you mentioned instructionals, looking at tape and whatnot? How do you how do you navigate instructionals, especially in a time where uh, we can all be inundated with with jujitsu techniques and information and whatnot? Like, how do you navigate all that? Yeah, I mean, the most ideal way would be to assess your jujitsu, look at where you really need to work on, which is generally defense, the, the, the defensive side of jujitsu for most grapplers. But you look at that and then you choose an instructional that specifically targets your weakness. But to be honest, I'll try and do that. But I think the most important thing is getting an instructional that you really want to learn and that, you know, entices you to stay with it. I think it's just like getting into a book. If you pick up a book and you get into it, you'll you'll read the whole thing and you'll remember it. And I just think I would encourage people to find an instructional they really want to learn and then try and get into it and give it a little bit of time. And then once you get into it, there's little things you can do. Like one thing I'll do is just use my screen record function on my phone. I've got like fifth, like 20 folders on my phone of specific areas of jujitsu. It's extremely autistic, but it works. And, and, you know, you, you have these, these little clips and then you go to drilling and then you just like use the screen recording to go over, over things. Um, as far as like uh, self-assessment, I'm pretty lucky because I have a like really good memory. So when I'm rolling with people, I can generally remember like almost everything that happened in the role. Don't know why, but it's very useful for jujitsu. So it's really good for uh, self-assessment. I can generally just think back to a role that I've just had and go, okay, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. And um, I think I'm sure a lot of high level guys have that too, because you're used to exchanges and certain things stick out to you and all of that kind of thing. Um, so as you get more high level, that that helps a lot. But I, w- I would recommend for like lower level people, absolutely film yourself if you can. Film yourself. It's a horrible, horrible, painstaking process to watch yourself do jujitsu because a lot of things you think you're really good at, you're not. But then at the same time, you'll see things that you've done well that you didn't think you did well 
when you were doing it. So yeah, I would say try and break down instructional, find an instructor you love, break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces and then um, film yourself rolling to self-assess where your actual you know, issues are. Yeah, I tell people all the time you should film yourself rolling. I used to do it a lot more than I do now, uh, but I feel like that's a, a, a great way to do it. Not only that, but there's a lot of communities and people out there that will review your footage for you. Say if you're a lower practi- uh, lower level practitioner and you don't know what you're looking at, there's plenty of people out there that will review it for you and help you out. Or even yes. being able to go to your coach and say, hey, I did this during the role. How do I stop this? Or what what did I do wrong here? How do they get this or whatever? So it's it's a great way to really level up and uh, expedite your your skill acquisition if you if you know what you're doing wrong and you could show someone right then and there like hey so when it when it comes to yes. your like perfect class when you are trying to get your skill up as much as possible say before like ADCC right now rounds of rolling versus practicing technique or drilling or whatever what what percentage are you looking at in each class um so it's a good question i think it i'll go through phases of training so most of the time if i'm not preparing for a specific um event or competition i will be spending probably 70 percent of my time rolling with people who are not as good as me or like getting slightly close to my level and working on specific things, whether that's defensive parts of my uh, jujitsu, whether that's attacks, whether that's just wrestling, whatever it is. And just trying to think as much as I can about what I'm doing when I'm rolling and be as intentional as I possibly can and do things as perfectly as I possibly can to like reaffirm the muscle memory. Um, And then the other percentage of the time is like harder, intenser rolling with, like better people at different gyms and stuff like that and then the closer it gets to competition that um that percentage evens out a little bit and then it becomes more like hard rounds are the majority of what i'm doing and then skill work is like slightly less um but yeah that's just to get myself physically primed for whatever i'm doing um and get myself mentally ready as well but i would say like most of the the majority of my time is spent doing a high volume of like skill work and obviously it can be intense as well. But let's say if I have, if I do, you know, I, I will generally do six to eight rounds of sparring um, each session. And I would say most of the time I'm doing sort of like five rounds or four rounds, like of re- like like figuring out exactly what I'm doing and being technical. And then the other sort of two rounds going a bit harder. But also, you know, I've, I've dealt with so many injuries that I think for me it's more important to get as much volume in as I can and work on skill as much as I can and not be injured and not be in the best physical condition and then get in better condition when it's closer to competition than just, you know, going pretty hard, like pretty regularly. Cause I just, for some reason, my body just explodes. I don't know what it is. I don't know that maybe there's something in the water down here, but um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just uh, did a video recently. There was someone that posted on Reddit, about how he accidentally broke his training partner's neck uh, during a roll. He went, the a purple belt had him in case of Katami, so he, like, trapped an arm and then, like, bridged to do the reversal to get back into side control, you know what I mean? And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. posted on his head and heard a loud snap or a loud crack and broke the guy's neck, and it was a complete accident. And yeah. how do you handle injuries in, 
when you're in the training room, right, and it's obviously an accident or whatever, because injuries during competition are completely different than in the training room. How do you how do you handle injuries in the training room when you're like ramping up for a competition? Are, are you talking about like my personal injuries or like if I see one of my students like get like you right? like your personal injuries? How do you how do you how are you okay? How how do you come at it like mentally, knowing that you're preparing for a competition and you get injured in the in in training or whatever, right? And not in and how do you handle all that? Because I know it can be frustrating because you're like, man, I gotta, I got Polaris coming up, I got a competition coming up. Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, it it sucks, man. I mean, I would say the first thing that's going through my head is how bad is it, and can I still compete with it? And I think everyone's threshold for that is different. You know, I've complete, I've competed with broken ankles, broken toes. Wow. Um, I've competed with a torn pec. Um, like not a full tear, obviously, but like a partial tear and stuff like that. So I think like you, you can work around certain injuries to a certain degree and you just have to be smart about how you do it. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's completely out of your control and you just can't do anything and you're off the mats and that's fucking it. And um, I think uh, I think you just have to understand that everyone who's been at a high level has had those experiences. Like Gordon Ryan... Um, before 2019 ABCC, I think he either tore his ACL or something and he had surgery on his knee and he only got back to rolling about 12 weeks, maybe eight weeks before he went and won ADCC. So I think you shouldn't always just count yourself out. And I think you should, the main thing you should do is keep your mind occupied with jujitsu. So come into the gym as much as you can, study tape as much as you can. And um, what generally happens after you have an injury and you come back is you're so excited to do jujitsu again you have this massive growth spurt in 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 ability because you've learned all this stuff and you want to try it out and then you get back to jujitsu and you start figuring things out again and some of the some of the times where i've gotten way better than i would have done if i hadn't got injured was when i had that take time off the mat so you know it comes with its its pros and cons but i just think the main thing to remember is because you know you, you always feel like as an athlete you you have a certain amount of years to make it and um and i and when you get injured you're like shit this is six months out and now all my opponents that are training are gonna get better i'm gonna come back and they're gonna fuck me up but you know they might get injured and everyone who does jiu-jitsu gets injured that's the one thing about start like that i get people to start jiu-jitsu i got my dad to start jiu-jitsu for example which is great but he's like 50 something and he's been doing jiu-jitsu for about eight months and he's had two surgeries so Sometimes you have to deal with the guilt of um, basically breaking your friends' bodies apart by telling them to do to do jujitsu, um, but you know it's just part of the fucking it's part of the gig basically. So you've just got to be prepared for it, and then you've just got to go. Okay, well, I'm not going to waste this time. You know, like an athlete would do in an off season, do everything you possibly can to make sure when you get back on the mats again, you're ready to go. You know. Yeah, when you when you go uh, drop in at these other academies, are you doing it when you're injured too, or are you kind of using that? Are you trying to save going to these other academies for these like harder, uh, more skilled rounds? Are you trying to save that for when your body's a little bit more, uh, I guess, ready or primed or recovered from it? Yeah, when I when I go to other gyms, unless it's a gym I've been to like a lot and I know the people well, I I wouldn't go to another gym if I was injured, you know. It's just too risky because it's just the nature of sometimes you're rolling with people who you might potentially compete against at some point as well. And I just think um, it's it's too risky to go into a feral 
a feral gym. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, because we're all we're all competitive, and as much as we're all friends, and we and I am friends with a lot of people that I compete against. You don't want to fucking lose to someone from another gym, and uh, and yeah. So I, I would advise not doing that unless you're like really good friends with them. Yeah, that's what I would say. That's a, that brings up a good point too because. I talked to, there's a guy here in the United States down in Arizona called Matthew Gillette, and he's got like this year or last year, he had like a hundred and something gold medals in IBJJF, like uh, wow. at, at Black Belt. Well, in, one, in one year? In one year, at Black Belt, right? Yeah, and, 100 uh, medals. Yeah, you know, crazy. crazy. This guy is an incredible competitor. And, <sighs> wow. um, or maybe it wasn't, it was, it was up there. Maybe not a hundred, maybe less than a hundred, but it was quite a few. And, uh, I talked to him about, you know, when you're competing and like, say, like you just mentioned, you go to other academies that you might compete against these people. How should you roll there when you're rolling with these people that you have the possibility of competing against? Are you bringing the yeah. A game or are you kind of like playing, letting them build confidence? Like, oh, I beat Ollie in rounds at the gym, so I'm not worried about competing against him now. Nah, mate, it's, it's war. Just war everything. <laughs> Fuck it. They're not getting shit on me. There's no way I'm letting someone from another gym get anything on me. No, I mean like, no, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm like, I'm respectful to people, and I'm always cool. I'm not going to wrench on a submission or anything like that. And to be honest, I'll, it's kind of like a feeling out process. If I'm rolling with someone and they feel like they want to go a bit lighter, I'll go lighter with them, you know. Um, but yes, I've definitely, I've definitely gone to other gyms and just tried to smash everyone. <laughs> many many times and i think it's really beneficial for you and i think it's beneficial for them as well and you know when people come in from i love when people come in to the gym from other places and try and sort of challenge me and stuff i think it's fun and i think it's uh, important for your students to see and i think it prepares you for competition and i think it prepares you for life i just think it's a it's a cool thing to be able to do to just just like you know competing against other tribes and other places it's just um i think it's it's part of the nature of what drives us to do jujitsu. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it, you know. Do you ever have a like a battle but in yourself from wanting to be like a, a great coach and also for being a great competitor? Because I know two of them those two things can take a lot of your time and trying to balance between the two has gotta be hard. Yeah. I think it just comes down to sort of uh, a time management thing. Because I, I, I coach a few times a week, but it, it's not it, the teach coaching in a class, you know, it's an allotted space of time and, you know, you just work for that time and then you train. So that doesn't really take much away from your training. But if you have students who are invested in you and think you're a really good coach and want to learn stuff from you and want you to review their, uh, they want you to review their, uh, you know, competition footage or even privates, you know, can take up a lot of time and energy. And for me, I, I, I try and invest my time in students right now because I have limited amount of time. I, I try and only really invest myself in students who are serious about jujitsu or at least just care about getting better, you know. If I see if I see someone that really wants to be good at jujitsu and is really trying their best and taking what I'm teaching them or what they're learning off an instructional and putting it into practice, I I want to help them. But, you know, you have limited amount of time and I think people around me understand that, you know, I have to you have to be selfish as, as an athlete. And, you know, not just in the gym, you know, somewhat in your personal life, you, you have to like, 
you have to say no to things. You have to say no to people when you don't want to, to be able to like be as focused as you possibly can on this goal, because there's a shitload of people who are trying to do the same thing as you. It's extremely competitive. And even if you're really good, you still might not make it. So you better be as possible good as you possibly can be. So I think generally people around me like understand that um, I have limited time, but um you know, when once my competitive career is sort of over to a certain degree, I'd love to be more hands-on in the coaching aspect and help people even more. Um, and I think I'll be more able to do it as well. So I think it's just right now investing in myself as a, as a product and then later on I'll be able to help other people, you know. What, what makes a good student in your eyes? Um, what makes a good student? Well... I was going to say someone who listens to you, but I, I, w- I would say probably more concisely that it's important that they question everything you teach them to. Mm. Um, I think I think you have to... A good student is someone who takes learning into their own hands, I would say. And everyone I know who's ever gotten good at jiu-jitsu didn't... Uh, make, uh, apart from someone like Gordon Ryan, who's pretty much learned everything from Danaher, and in that specific context, it makes sense because Danaher is the best coach in the world. He's there assessing your your jiu-jitsu as much as he can. And I think if you have someone like that, which there really isn't many people around, it makes sense to just listen to them. But um, everyone else I know has taken learning into their own hands. Almost everything they learn, they generally don't learn from classes. They learn from watching instructionals, doing their own research, finding their favorite grapplers and trying to emulate them and stuff like that. So I just think someone who you know, has a good attitude, understands that it's going to be a long road and trying to speed that process up as fast as they can. Uh, finding grapplers that they really like and trying to emulate them and then just throwing themselves into competition and putting themselves in difficult situations and basically just not being a pussy because that's <laughs> that's a big thing, you know. Um, you have to be able to, you know, you know, most people can do a really hard training session, um, but the hard thing is getting up the next day when your body is extremely sore and you're fucking tired and you don't want to do it and making yourself go and do it. And the same thing is for competition and especially like watching tape and watching instructionals. Most people don't want to do that either. So you've just, you've got to be disciplined. You know, discipline is probably the biggest thing. Is that yeah. the way you were a student when you were coming up through the ranks? Is that why you made brown belt so quickly? Um, yeah, I would say it's. I, I would say it's. Yeah, I would say I don't think there's anything particularly unique that I do. I just think, you know, someone like Joseph Chen or something like that who's come up really, really quick. I think I don't think there's that much secret to it. I think he's he's studied exactly what he's doing. He's been extremely disciplined about it. He's loved it and he's been really enthusiastic. So that helps a lot. But I don't think there's there's much secret. I mean, you know, people have their different methodologies of learning. And, you know, they're like a, the ecological approach is a big one that's going on around at the moment, which I'm, you know, a fan of to a certain degree. Um, and I think I, I would say one more thing is like, and this is a big one, I think is like one optimizing your stress outputs so like optimizing your energy outputs for example and figuring out exactly how you can get the most volume of training in a week without breaking your body that's a big one so 
whatever that might be, whether that's having a hard day and a light day, but you're still training twice a day, whether that's doing lots of rounds with, with a lower intensity and then separating your harder rounds for another day, all that kind of stuff, how you sleep, how you eat, uh, when you work out, like all of these kind of things. If you can optimize that as much as you can, you can get a much bigger volume of training in and then trying to be as efficient as you can with exactly how you're learning jujitsu as well. Like those, if you can like get really good at both of those things, and I, I would recommend just listening to any, like John Danaher's podcast and Lex Friedman are super, super good. He talks about a lot of his training methodologies and how to get good at jujitsu and how to drill properly. You know, that's another thing, knowing how to drill properly um, and actually how to roll at 20%, 30%, 40% and using um, another, I mean, another really good one is like using um so let's say you're, you've just learned a new technique right and you want to and you want to apply it you're not going to be able to apply it straight on a world champion black belt the first thing you do is you take it to a white belt who's probably lighter than you and then you smash them with it and then you take it to a blue belt and you you know you build it up this way and it's just like the the, the integration of techniques is is a much smoother process because then not only are you hitting it straight away you're hitting it correctly straight away and then I think I think any any time you're doing a technique badly, it's bad for your jujitsu because it's reaffirming those motor patterns in in your body um, to basically do the technique wrong. So I would just say like try and do every technique you learn um, perfectly from from the get go. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I've noticed about to your point earlier. You talk about taking when you come back from a break, like an injury or something like that. You're so enthusiastic about getting back on the mats you have like the intent of i'm gonna i can't wait to get back and you're really focusing on it one thing that i've noticed too is sometimes i'll form bad habits that i don't realize i'm doing because i'm training so yep. much and then i come back and my techniques once i get you know motor movements back understanding it my technique feels better it feels sharper i'm like i'm like oh shit like i guess i was doing that kind of wrong because i was like so focused on just being there as much as possible and i didn't think about the being completely technical but now that i'm back i know i have to slow down i know i have to ease back into it my technique kind of gets better do you notice that too yeah absolutely i've had I've, I've sometimes had like i think when i was coming up i would go out and get incredibly drunk and come in <laughs> extremely hungover and I'm like, okay, I have to go light today because otherwise I'm going to have a heart attack or something. I don't recommend then, this for the people listening at home. If <laughs> no, do it. This is, this is, you have to do this. This is what will get you good at jiu-jitsu. You're going to get absolutely blackout drunk, maybe take some other substances, and then come in the next day. And the only way you don't have a heart attack is by going light, and that's that's how you get good at jiu-jitsu. No, but like um, – <laughs> No, but yeah, like in those situations, I, I started being really technical and I was like, oh, okay, I'm actually doing better now somehow, you know, that was like one of the first eye opening things for me. That was just part of the process. Um, but yeah, I think you can do uh, another thing about like being away from mats for a long time. I think you can, I think a lot, if not most of my progression uh, on the mats has been done off of the mats, like thinking about, you know, adjustments i need to make and problems that i faced in the role and that kind of thing and then technically making adjustments in my head and then doing them when i go back to training like i think mental work and like mental like going over having that obsession just constant thinking of jujitsu um maybe not the healthiest thing but if you want to get good at jujitsu it works um yeah 
What, what do you think separates a great competitor that's, you know, crushes at local competitions, uh, does great in the gym, drops in at other academies, does great versus uh, like a professional high level ADCC competitor that competes on the world stage like you have with like Polaris, ADCC, gone to all these gyms. What do you think separates the person that's good locally versus the person that's good globally? Um, I think, I mean, for one, it's, it's definitely technical. Um, but I also think it can be a mindset thing. You know, I think some people think, oh, I'm, they have an idea of themselves, right? They have an idea like, oh yeah, I'm a really good jujitsu competitor, but you know, I'm not Gordon Ryan or I'm not Mickey Rod or, you know, Craig Jones or something like that. And I think if you, you know, a lot of people get caught up in that, you know, it's, I would say it's, it's a mainly mental thing because if you decide that's what I'm going to be, you will push everything out of your way in order to find it. And I think for me, it's been tough. You know, I've had a lot of moments like, oh, you know, I'm going to just be a decent local competitor and then open up a gym. But that's not where I'm at right now at all, you know. And I think part of it was I was lucky enough to go and train with these people. And I was like, shit, I train just as hard as they do. I train just as regularly as they do. I know a lot of the things they know. And I'm actually really good at jujitsu. <laughs> and surprise i you know some some people aren't aren't lucky enough to have those experiences to be able to fly out to america and, and do this stuff and i was but i think um what you realize is they're just like you i think now more than ever i think people think you have to be in person to learn from someone and maybe the people who are training with dana have all these little secrets and i will tell you from training there there is definitely some some stuff he does not show in his instructions that's for sure and they're like secret techniques he absolutely i can't say what they are because i'd have to kill you but they, they... <laughs> well i mean i'm over in the u.s so i'm good <laughs> <laughs> um but i think just with instructionals and watching tape alone you can do so much and it's underrated and then you know travel to your local gyms and, and 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 do that too but i would i would say for anyone who has those doubts or whatever you know take it from me that anyone who's done something at a really high level they're just like you but they're just extremely dedicated and they stay on the path for longer that's a big one you know there's someone like you know look at someone like kieran um what's his name oh can't remember his name he's a 10th planet guy he's really really good it's gonna annoy me keith krikorian sorry that's his name he like lost trials like 10 times in a row i don't even know how it's possible because that's over the span of like 20 years I, maybe it wasn't 10 times it was a lot of times and then in 2019 or whatever whenever it was he went and won trials and then he just made it you know and i think you know he just kept his nose down kept competing kept training and kept getting better and eventually so many people drop out that you can't not succeed if you just stay in so i just think like being in the game for as long as you can um Believing in yourself and believing that you can actually do it is a big one. And then just making sure you do everything you possibly can to get to that goal, but also having that goal too. You know, if you just mill around doing jujitsu and competing, but you don't really have anything you're aiming at, I mean, you could, I'm not saying like nothing will come of it, but it's, it's a lot better to aim as high as you possibly can and then just shoot for it as much as you can than to, you know, be, be without direction. So yeah, those are my main things, I would say. 
What what's the biggest difference between competitors in let's say like America, Danaher, B Team, all these places over here in America versus it like in the UK? And why are we so much better at jujitsu? <laughs> <laughs> I would argue with you, but you you just literally are so much better than us at jujitsu. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe In and Out Burger is pretty good. That might have something to do. <laughs> No, I mean, what's the difference? Um, I think as a country, you're much more competitive in nature. I think that helps the like overall attitude. You get a lot of, you know, you have like wrestling as part of growing up and it's very much like you're, you're taught, from what I understand, I mean, I'm English, I didn't grow up in America, but I'm, I'm guessing you all got taught to always try and come first place. And if you're not first, you're like, all that kind of thing. So that probably was. But I, I think... Um, I think England for a while had the same thing that like the lower level competitors have of like, oh, well, we're England and we can't compete against America because they're just better and we're not, we don't have what they have. I think we have a lot of what you guys have now. I just think you guys have a much bigger volume of better athletes and you guys have got Danaher living there. I mean, it's mostly centralized around Texas now, but you've got amazing athletes out in San Diego and not and New York, literally East to West Coast is just like, there's every state you can go into and just find an amazing gym. So I would say the main thing is just your volume of, of athletes that you've got. We're, we're slowly, you know, there's a lot of really good athletes coming out of, out of England. You know, we've got people like Owen Flanagan, Owen Jones just won ADCC trials. Um, and there's just a ton, there's a, just a ton of talent coming through the UK right now, but yeah, it's a, to answer your question, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I would just say you guys have a much bigger volume of athletes at the moment, but um, I hope you guys uh, hold on to these memories because they're... they're <laughs> <strange>. <laughs> hey, it was Brazil for a long time, right? And then, and then America slowly started taking over. No, I talked to Mike Bates, who has uh, is from the UK, and uh, he has uh, his own academy over there it's a gracie baja um livingston i think it what it is uh but he was he was talking about you know how he has like three four hundred members in his academy alone now and i think it's cool seeing other places in the world starting to like blow up i mean you guys have hodger gracie he's been there since like the early 2000s right so uh he's it's 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 getting much bigger over there which is cool to see and i i like it because it, it it allows for more competitive jujitsu, more knowledge to grow. It allows better opportunities instead of it just being focused in one area because it let it brings more minds into it. You know what I mean? So it's definitely cool seeing other places in the world uh, getting better at jujitsu, bringing up world star athletes. In your eyes, who's besides yourself? Obviously, who do you see coming up in the UK that's you know making making a good uh, spot on the scene that people should look out for? Um. Well, people who should, well, coming up, I would say Owen Flanagan, but I feel like he's not really coming up anymore. He's pretty much made it. Um, mm -hmm. But like he, him, I think like one of the first guys was Ross Nichols because Ross Nichols was the first guy I'm aware of who was like an English grappler in ADCC. There might be other ones too, but like he was the first guy I was aware of who'd like competed in ADCC and people were like, oh, JT Torres couldn't pass his car. I was like, what the fuck? <clears throat> And I trained with him. So he was like a pioneer. But like right now, yeah, we've got Owen O'Flanagan coming. You know, he's just amazing at what he does. I get to train with him like, like, you know, reasonably 
often. And then um, Owen Jones just won under 66 trials. So congratulations to him. That's fucking sick. Um, he's a really good grappler. Um, who else would I say is, is coming up who's really good? Um, well, we obviously have Owen Livesey now, but he's not really coming up anymore. He's done really, really well. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of someone who's not a direct competitor of mine that I don't like. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's so basically, if, if Ali didn't mention your name, he doesn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really think of that many people off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Oh, Shane Curtis is really good. Yeah, Shane Curtis, the goth kid. Yeah, you, I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know who he Payne, is. Yeah. Payne's really good. Um, I think he's quite underrated, to be honest. I think he's going to do really well. Um, I saw a video of him, just to talk about him real quick. I saw a video of him. I'm pretty sure he blew up after this. But he was in a fully in a rear naked choke, and he got out of oh, it yeah. during a competition. Yeah. And that real, like, blew up. And that's how I found him was on Instagram. I started following him. So Yeah, he's... He did that on Polaris. Shane's cool because he's like found a really cool brand for himself as well, you know. And that's something that's really important as a jiu-jitsu athlete. It's something I probably haven't, I because I'm I'm not a, a money focused person. I don't. It just just not something that motivates me. I'm I'm interested in living a life that is full of you know, for, like working towards who I want to be rather than what I have. You know, that's that's the main thing for me. I would say. But yeah, Shane's done a really good job of a. Uh, of marketing himself and branding himself with all the goth stuff and his tattoos and his look and he's just an interesting guy so yeah i would say him um yeah i'm really struggling to think of other people for some reason but i'm sure there if any of other ones come to me throughout the, the episode i'll tell you what, what what do you think um it always interests me when i talk to like brown belts especially when they're like high level competitors or they've been doing jujitsu for a long time and i'm always curious what do you think it's going to take for you to earn your black belt like where do you feel that you need to go in order for your, you to earn your black belt um yeah it's an interesting one i mean for me like black belt was always a thing that motivated me but um now it's it's very different. I don't know. I think if I won ADCC trials and I got my black belt, I'd be happy with that. You know, I think like for me, it's more like I want to get to a level where I'm undoubtedly world-class, like one of the best brown belts in the world before I get my black belt. That's what I'd like to do. So for me, um, you know, winning ADC tri ADCC trials solidifies you. You can't argue with it, and it is you are you are one of the best grapplers in the world at your weight. And I think if you're if if you're that doesn't matter what belt you are. I think if you get a black belt after winning ADCC trials, it just makes sense. You know, some people win it after when they're a blue belt, but I just think like you know. But the other thing is, I there's a potential I. And I haven't signed anything. I'm, this isn't like like an announcement or anything, but uh, there's a potential I'd like to have an MMA fight before I get my black belt as well. Um, Why is that? Well, it depends. Because if, if things really blow up for me in jiu-jitsu, I don't want to go and get injured doing an MMA fight. But let's say, for example, trials didn't go my way. I'd definitely consider having one because I think it would be a nice thing for me to have saying, not only am I a high level grappler, but my grappling skills work in a MMA fight and they work in a real fighting scenario. And therefore anyone who learns from me is not only 
going to be I'm not only qualified to teach jiu-jitsu but I'm also qualified to teach people how to fight and defend themselves and that's always something that's been really important to me about jiu-jitsu I didn't get into jiu-jitsu necessarily for a you know a sports reason I got into it because I wanted to learn how to fight without getting hit in the face too much so um (laughs) uh but I did a lot of that growing up too so I know what that's like but um yeah I think that would be a cool thing to be able to have before I get my black belt and I think it's a lot of thing. It's, it's something that a lot of um, black belts are missing out on. You know, I think you should, you should, as a black belt in jiu-jitsu, be able to call yourself a fighter, in my opinion. And you should be able to defend yourself and, you know, have skills like real life skills with your jiu-jitsu. I would, I would be very disappointed in myself if I got to black belt and all I'd done was sit around in the gi and play lapel guard, you know? <laughs> Because yeah. it's just useful. It's just useful in a vacuum, and it and it, yeah. So for me, like the self defense and fighting aspect of jujitsu is very important. So that's basically why. Perfect. Well, Ali, I always like to end the the show with the same question: If you could give a piece of advice to a brand new white belt, what would it be? Um. Hmm. If you want to get your ass kicked, come and challenge me in my gym and I'll happily do it for you. Um, but I would say, I would say don't take for granted, like how lucky we are to do what we do and, um, try and love the process as much as you can, because wherever you're trying to get to, whether it's just getting a blue belt, a black belt or ADCC champion. If you don't enjoy the journey, it's pointless. One, you might not make it. And two, you might make it and you might, it might not fulfill you as much as you think it would. So the, the, the end of the journey in the end is you're going to die and have to stop doing jiu-jitsu, get old and have to stop doing jiu-jitsu anyway. So just try and enjoy every part of it. And um, yeah, that's, that's my main advice. Perfect. Well, if people want to check you out and, and uh, see see your journey through jiu-jitsu and ADCC trials, where can they find you at? Uh, so my Instagram is at OGWeb on Instagram. Um, I'm sponsored by Progress, so you always see me popping up on there or maybe on the Grapple Club as well. Um, I'm going to be starting a Patreon um, where we're going to have a lot of footage from the gym, whether that's like a full class I'm teaching, specific techniques. I'm going to be offering... Um, uh, like competition reviewing um, and just like specialized techniques, anything you want to learn about jujitsu. And uh, yeah, so be sure to look out for that. It'll be advertised on Instagram. And also a big shout out to uh, Progress, who've been sponsoring me for a long time and always been great to me. And Ascend Performance with Rob Nittman, who's been doing my strength and conditioning for years. Um, yeah. Perfect. Hey, and Progress just picked up Hi Rita. They did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> funny actually just the ending note we went to uh uh there and he he was so i'm sponsored by progress too i wish i would got a picture but my friend looks a little bit but like owen jones but more fat and um he told my friend that he goes oh, you're not owen jones and he was like uh yeah he goes you look like owen jones if he was fat <laughs> <laughs> so yeah shout out to heisen because we basically been calling him fat owen jones every day since so that's so funny. Hey, well, Ollie, I just want to say thank you so much, man, for your time today. This is a great conversation. Uh, I'm sure people are going to find lots of value in it. And I, I wish you the best of luck with ADCC in your competitive uh, career. I'll be watching it from the sidelines. Uh, that's not for me, but good for you. <laughs> <laughs>
thank you so much, man. Thank you for your time. I really enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, stay in touch, brother. And uh, absolutely. If I'm ever out All right, guys. part of the world. I'll... Thank you so much for listening and watching. If I'm ever in the UK, is that what you're saying? I was just saying, if I'm ever part in that part of the world, I'll train with you. And same, if you ever come here, you're welcome to come train in my gym absolutely dude so thank you guys so much for listening and watching at home uh be sure to go check out ollie and check out the sponsor down below and everything like that and uh remember no oil checks here peace